Uh, you will notice on the top of your sheet that we are in part seven of our Wake Up series through the book of Isaiah. And I entitled the message, Wake Up to an Eternal Messiah. And what I have for you today is intense encouragement. There is a reason why you are here right now to hear this message. Some of you need to lock it away for a few days from now. Some of you need it desperately right now. Uh, we may well, depending on whether or not the Holy Spirit leads, we may end up having times where we're just going to pray over you today because we are very interested in God's power coming in to encourage us and strengthen us. But what you're going to hear today is that God is a deliverer. And he is a deliverer not just of people overseas, he is a deliverer here. However, I want to tie into what you just heard. You just heard two missionaries talk about two other countries, talk a lot about children, Romania, talking about Uganda. And I would suggest that in the areas that we went to and saw that children were in neglect, I would assume, and maybe I'm wrong, but I would assume that there has to be a consistent prayer in their heart of, God, do you even see me? Do I even factor in your world? Have I been forgotten? That I'm over here and it seems that no one else wants me. I've been dropped off in an orphanage and I don't know what to do. Maybe no one knows me. Well, there are some of us that feel the exact same way. Let me give you an example. I was talking with uh, Pastor Russ this past Tuesday. He recently had a hernia repair surgery that was rather significant and he was in pain two months prior to it it took a long time to make the appointment and then and then afterwards uh he's had a rough go with uh healing up as a matter of fact he's gone this weekend to do a little bit more healing up and trying to rest he came back a little bit early and he said lance one of the most discouraging things in my healing process was that i would feel like i'm getting better and then i would slide back and he said, and the scary part was every time I would slide back in my healing process, I thought, is this the new normal? Is this what I'm going to have to live with for the rest of my life? Is it ever going to get better? There are some of you that have been in chronic pain. There are some of you that have been uh, in difficulty and addiction and challenges for years, for decades. And you say, that is my new normal. That's how the kids feel. In other countries and you cry out and say God clearly you have no interest in setting me free clearly you don't care about me clearly you you just don't think it's a big deal it's not important enough for you to address and you feel abandoned I'm here to tell you that that is absolutely not true you have not been forgotten as a matter of fact for every child of God and know this being a child of God makes all the difference in the world. You do not get to claim the things of Scripture if Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior. But for all those that, that submit and surrender under the hand of God to those that would say, I can't do it myself, Jesus, I need you to rescue me. For those of us that would say, Dad, your future is hopeful. 
You have a plan and a vision that God is orchestrating through your life. There is freedom, there is deliverance, there is healing, there is hope for all of us. And you say, Lance, well, why doesn't it come immediately? Why do I feel this way today? And that's because of the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. And it's this. Today is not the full story. Today is not the full story. Right in the middle of one of the most intense judgment passages, and you all know what last week was like, right? Has anybody healed up from last week yet? Last week was pretty severe, right? About repentance, and it was hardcore, and it was fire and brimstone. Right after something that severe comes one of the most sweet, hope-filled, precious, kind, gentle encouraging messages in the Bible. And that's today. That God will only go so long in where he's bringing down the weight, where he's attacking and trying to bring about change and discipline and wrath before his incredible compassion comes sweeping in. Understand that when God blows things up, it is for the purpose of rearranging and bringing restoration. That is the God that we serve. When, it, when Moses asked, he said, what do you like, God? God said, and he started naming off, I'm loving, I'm compassionate, I'm gracious, I forgive, I'm this. Now, do I keep things just? Yes, I do. Will I hold people accountable? Yes, I will. But know that my heart is loving and kind. Know that my desire is to bless you. Know that I want you to be healed. It says that Jesus Christ came that our joy might be what? Full. It's that he wants blessing to come in. It's our sin that derails things. It's our rebellion that derails things. And so as he wants to come in with healing and help and wholeness, he also realizes that some of that suffering and challenge is necessary. And that's why it's not gone yet. What a talk for a moment about a story that if you grew up in the church or you've been reading for any length of time, you're probably already over familiar with. It's the story of manna. I talked about it not that long ago. The story of manna is this, for those of you that are new, the Jewish people, the Israelites came out of Egypt and there were hundreds of thousands of them. They were led by Moses and they show up in the desert and now Picture this, you are now Moses, you're the leader of hundreds of thousands of people in the middle of nowhere. Everybody has to eat. What are you going to do? Well, you're not going to do anything. There's nothing you can do to feed hundreds of thousands of people. And God comes up with the most bizarre plan. I mean, you couldn't have written it ahead of time. What was the plan? The plan was every morning when you wake up, there will be food laying on the ground. What? No way. First of all, is that safe? Is that sanitary? I don't know if I want to scoop stuff off the ground. There was no way he could go and purchase food. There were no stores in the area. There was nothing he could do. There was not enough animals to go chase down for hundreds of thousands of people. God comes in with extraordinary supernatural provision every morning. Now, what happens if you decided to try to store up some and hang on to it for the next day? It would rot. Why? Training. Discipline. What was the purpose? 
daily bread, right? We all know the story, give us this day our daily bread. I talked about that before and how we all hate that phrase. Why do we hate that phrase? Because we want storehouses, we want extra, we want a whole bunch so that we can chill out and relax. Because ultimately we do not trust God at all. Uh, daily bread forces a trust because here's the deal if you scoop up manna at some point you probably get the idea that it's going to rot so you're going to stop trying to store it up that means you have to own the idea that if at any time god says no more manna today you're done there's nothing you can do you have to literally rely on the fact that it will show up new every morning here's something else intriguing There's a couple other things in the Bible that God says are new every morning. You know those? His mercies are new every morning. Here's my point in all this. In our desperation for saying, God, I feel abandoned. God, I feel like I don't have it. My energy is not at a level where I can sustain the rest of my day. I cannot sustain the rest of my week. Lord, I do not have the finances to make it through the end of the year. Lord, I do not have the willpower to be able to make it through a fast where I'm trying to put away sinful things. God, I don't have it. I'm examining my pockets and all I have is a little bit of change. I don't have enough money to get it done. My resources are too limited. I'm going to run out. And we begin to become anxious. We look and we check the food in our pockets and there's nothing but crumbs. Let me give you a a super deep reason why that is. Because it's not there. There you go. That was encouraging, wasn't it? I've become Captain Obvious. Why isn't it there? Because it's not supposed to be there. God wants to meet you in the morning. God wants to meet you every day. Because every time he gives you extra, you walk away. You want enough gas in your tank to drive far away from the Lord. Because you don't like the idea of having to rely on anybody. You don't like the idea, and how do I know this? Because I'm just like you. That's how I know that. We don't like the idea that at any point someone can pull our provision. It makes us nervous. God, give me storehouses full so I never have to worry. And he said, I will not do that. Let me tell you this. There was only one time during the week that he gave extra. Do you remember that? And he, right before Sabbath, he would give you a two-day provision of manna that you could store up, and it lasted through the Sabbath day for what reason? Rest. If you have extra in your bank account, it is a gift from God that you might rest, not that you might make more and become a workaholic and work that day too and completely slam your life and ruin the whole point. That's not why he gave it to you. He gave it to you. If you have more than enough energy for all week, it means that there will be times of rest and connection with him. It does not mean so you can work harder. God only gives you a little extra because he wants to be with you. Not so that you would be autonomous, independent. I'm my own person. Forget you, God. In the same way, I know that you feel like you will never be delivered because you look at your resources and you don't have enough to get out of the hole you're in. 
but you're not supposed to. It was always supposed to be a God thing. You were never going to have enough. But praise God that he is a deliverer. Praise God that he rescues. Praise God there is no hole too deep he can't reach into. Praise God that there is no enemy he cannot decimate with just a word. Praise God there is no mystery he cannot solve and unravel. Because the God that we serve can solve your problem. Absolutely, it's not hard for him. It's easy for him. Oh, Lord, I have a chronic illness. He knows how to fix that. Oh, Lord, I don't know what to do. I've always wrestled with anxiety or depression. He knows that. He can solve that. God, my body's not right this way. My spine is not aligned. He makes spines. It's what he does. It's not hard. Lord, there is something in my body that is a foreign body and it's causing cancer. He knows that. And God, I can't fix it. I know that. But God can. God, then why don't you? Why don't you solve it? To be honest with you, in my estimation, it's because he's still utilizing it. I believe that the promise that God gives us is that if we are his children, he will not allow unnecessary torment to come to you. I believe that if we ask him, he will move on our behalf to rid our lives of that which is unnecessary. And you go, then how could that be necessary? How could my pain, how could my difficulty, how could my loss be necessary? Because you don't see the full picture. You don't know what he's trying to do. We think comfort good, suffering bad. Yet that is not true. Now one day we will be in a new heavens and a new earth and all things will be right and all tears will be wiped away. And yes, in that day we will be positioned, built, cleaned of sin, purified, sanctified to be able to operate appropriately in a comfort position but we're not there yet therefore we're still in transformation mode and here's the problem comfort little transformation suffering great transformation why in the world would he remove that from you if the game is transformation not comfort he would not there is still a purpose in it. When there is no purpose in it, he will remove it. When will he remove it? When we pray and ask him to remove it. Well, how many times we got to pray? It's about aligning with the Father's will. Let's take my panic disorder. Right? Had that my whole life. I do not have the resources to get rid of it. I've had people pray over me. As a matter of fact, I had a, a pastor of another church come in this week. Pray over me. I have done everything that I could possibly do. I can't get rid of it. I don't have the resources to remove the torment from my life. Everybody's got an idea on how it can fix. Guess what they all do? Nothing. But I believe, and I believe that God has revealed to me that when it is no longer necessary, he will remove it out of my life. Why? 
Because then it becomes unnecessary. What it is built into me is an understanding of him. It has forged me together with him. It has made me the pastor I am today. In that weakness, he has become strong. It has allowed other people to relate to me because then they go, wait a second, clearly all that stuff that goes on in the ministry through Lance and Bridgeway is not him. Clearly it's God. He's too weak to do that. All these things have formed me and shaped me and molded me. And so he has utilized my torment, suffering, difficulty, pain. He's utilized it for his glory and my transformation. Why in the world would he take something like that away? Oh God, just give me comfort, give me ease, make things right. I know the prayer, I've prayed that. And you know what? His heart wants to bless, but we're not ready yet. And when we are ready, he will. Some of us have to wait until we shift out of this life. Some of us have to be continually transformed because of what he is doing through us. Sometimes the purpose of our life is that he is glorified through our suffering. That is our calling. Well, God, I hate that calling. It's a stupid calling. I don't want that calling. Give me another calling, right? Give me the calling of, oh my gosh, what do I do with all this money? Oh, what a terrible calling, right? God, I'm so over happy. I don't know what to do. It's like I'm euphoric all the time. Really? Suffering's my calling? No, 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 that's just one of them. Another one is trial. Oh, thanks, Lord. That was, that was sweet. I appreciate that. I get it. I know it's frustrating. But it is God is able, God desires, but he has to put it in line with the greater picture, the greater plan. But if it is in his will that you might be delivered, you will be delivered. How do we know that? Because for a time, Israel was supposed to be in captivity under Egypt for 400 years. That's a long time. But there came a day when God said, no more. I will break the neck of your oppressor. I will lead you out and you will be free. Is that day today for you? I guess we're going to see, huh? Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, page 575. Isaiah 11, 1, page 575. Has everybody noticed that when I think something's super important, I start yelling? <laughs> I don't even know why I do that. Afterwards, when I get done, I'm like, dang, that was loud. What was that all about? So I'm just rolling with it. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. And the Bible is under the seat in front of you, page 575. Let me just read the first verse and we'll, we'll soak in God this morning. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. You know what that means? It means that when we read last week, the last chapter ended with God saying, I'm going to bring judgment upon your oppressor, upon Assyria. And I will cut down his forest. I will decimate his trees. And when he's done with the decimation of your enemies, new life begins to grow. That is a passage of hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, is today the day? 
Is today the day, Lord, when some of us get to shake the baggage of our past and be healed of our pain? Is today the day, Lord, when our habits shift and we begin to build into something that is right and good? Is today the day, Holy Spirit, where you sweep in and wipe away our depression, our anxiety, uh, the struggles we go through, the mental illness that we have, the physical ailments that come upon our body? Maybe today is the day, but yet we pray, Lord, your will be done, not ours. You know better. You see more. We trust you. You are good. You are compassionate. You are loving. You are kind. We believe that as a good shepherd, you will take care of us as your sheep appropriately. And so we cast all our anxieties upon you now in Jesus name. Amen. Isaiah 1, 11, 1. There shall come forth. A shoot, new growth in a tree. If you cut a tree down, it's got to regrow. How's it going to regrow? New growth will emerge from it. From the stump of Jesse. What does that mean? Every Jew knows what that means. The stump of Jesse. Jesse had a super famous son. His son's name was David. King David, the giant killer. The greatest king that Israel ever had. His dad's name was Jesse. They immediately track on that and go, wait a second. What do you mean the stump of Jesse? No, 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 we're, we're supposed to be a tree, right? We're big tree, everybody goes on our branches, we provide shade. What do you mean stump? God said, when I get done with you, you're going to be anything but a stump. After God brought in judgment over their sin, as he wiped them out and they went into exile all over the world, by the time Jesus arrived, almost 700 years after this story, they were nothing but a stump. And then, out of nowhere... Out of quietness, out of absolute obscurity, here comes the Messiah, like a brand new shoot. And the branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Here's a truth that some of you are going to go, Lance, that's nice, that's cute, and you're going to keep it in your pocket. Others of you, it's going to be your life blood for today. And it's four words. God keeps his promises. Some of you think that's sweet. Some of you have to hear that today. And it literally will carry you through the entirety of your day. God keeps his promises. He's telling them this. I'm bringing judgment on you, yet in the middle of your spanking, I'm prophesying 700 years into the future that I will restore my people. God's always thinking restoration, even in the midst of judgment, even in the midst of discipline. He's always thinking restoration and fixing it and healing it and making it whole. And he's doing that with you. Verse 2. What's he going to look like when the Messiah shows up? Well, I don't know. What did Jesus look like when he showed up? Was that all of it? Now, remember, when prophets in the Old Testament knew about the Messiah, heard about the Messiah, they assumed it was all in one big show. The Messiah would show up. He would be empowered by God. He would set up his kingdom. He would make Israel the big dogs of the world. He would make everything right. He would rule from Jerusalem in righteousness. And then he would usher us into his kingdom forever. 
That's what they believed. They had no idea that there was going to be a delay. There was going to be a pause between his arrival, dying for the sins of mankind, raising back to life, ascending to the Father, and then having a second return. They never saw that. As a matter of fact, Jesus rebuked them later, going, how did you not see it? I wrote it all over the Old Testament. If you were paying attention, you'd get it. You just wanted to be rescued faster. Your eagerness to be on top and to have comfort blinded you from my plan for you. So sure enough, they didn't get it. So this way, Isaiah is writing it as he sees it, and he's going to talk about what Jesus was like when he was here on earth and what Jesus is going to be like when he comes back. But he talks about it as if it's all happening at the same time. So what's he like? And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Spirit of wisdom and understanding. What does that mean? It means that he will be equipped to judge and rule rightly. What is the spirit of counsel and might? That's the power and ability to reign. What is the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord? That's the power to carry out his father's will. The Messiah will be the perfect embodiment of all that the father wants to do here on earth. How will he do it? The spirit will come upon him. Now, this is a little bit awkward for us. Because we live post-Pentecost. We always think about the idea that, wait a second, Jesus dwells in my heart. Do you understand that's a post-Pentecost statement? As a matter of fact, that is only the book of Acts through Revelation and on. It is not anything before that. Here's something you want to lock in your head. Read the Gospels as Old Testament. Read the Gospels as Old Testament. Well, Lance, I can't do that. In my Bible, it says New Testament, and then it says Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You're going to get tripped up because the Gospels are still operating under Old Covenant. And so you get confused. Why did Jesus do that? Because that's how it was done in the Old Testament. One of the most primary ways that this happened was that Jesus needed to have the Holy Spirit come upon him. What does that mean? Well, if you remember at his baptism with John the Baptist, as he came up out of the water, what happened? The heavens were opened, a voice came down, and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. It empowered him for the tasks, and his ministry began. And he was able to cast out demons, he was able to heal, he was able to do all the extraordinary, miraculous events after the Holy Spirit came upon him. That seems weird to us, because we go, wait a second, I thought the Holy Spirit lives in people. He does after Pentecost. He didn't before. That's why Pentecost was such a big deal. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came down for a temporary assignment only. And then he left. It's why King David in his psalm after he had sinned, he was scared out of his mind that the Holy Spirit would leave. If the Holy Spirit leaves, your anointing is gone. And you no longer get a chance to do what you could do. The only reason David led the way David led was because the Holy Spirit was on him. The only reason why Samson could push the pillars down was because the Spirit of God was upon him. The only reason why Moses was able to part the Red Sea is because the Spirit of God was upon him. You take that out and he's just a regular guy. So Jesus was empowered with the Holy Spirit for his earthly ministry to set an example on what it's going to look like when we walk with the Father like that. Stop automatically putting him into the category of Son of God and that everything was easy for him. It was not easy for him. He was living a surrendered life in example of how our lives ought to be. If we are not seeing 
the incredible power and freedom in our ministries that Christ had in his, something's askew. I can almost assure you what it is. Sin. There you go. Why? Because Jesus didn't have any, and everything seemed to go really, really well for him. He was totally surrendered. We are pretty rebellious. There's a big difference there. So no, we're not seeing the freedom and the power and the awesomeness that Jesus Christ saw. But he was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do these things. And his delight, that word comes from the smell sense. And his delight, like a sweet aroma, shall be in the fear of the Lord. His favorite thing will be to carry out his father's will. Do you get fired up about honoring God? Man, I do. I get all excited when I feel like, nailed it, right? (laughs) The father asked me to do something. He downloaded it to me. I carried it out. I gave my all. I poured it all out. I was submitting to him. I was trying to do his, his will. I was chasing after him, listening to the Holy Spirit. When I go through a process like that and it's over and God moves, I'm so happy. Because I feel like my life finally mattered. All the other stuff I was doing was weak. And that's how Jesus was. He was always excited about perfectly carrying out his Father's will. That's pretty awesome. That would be his delight. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. He will not lead from a human perspective. You don't get to manipulate God. You don't get to manipulate the Messiah. He knows from a heavenly perspective what needs to happen. But with righteousness from the father's perspective, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He's going to bring fairness and justice. And Israel hadn't had that for thousands of years. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. That means when he reigns, evil does not stand. Righteousness shall be in the belt of his waist and faithfulness, the belt of his loins. A lot of scholars believe that Paul, the apostle, got the whole armor of God thing from Isaiah right there, the belt of truth, all that stuff, right? What it said, the only reason that you need to wear a belt in the Old Testament, now remember, It's flowy robe time. It's all men wear dresses day, right? It's you walk around, it's loose flowing. Hey, I feel good here. You know, it's kind of one of those things, right? The only time you need to wear a belt to lock everything down is when you're ready to fight. If you're going into confrontation, if you're going to work, if you're going into action, that's when you need to lock it down. When he goes into action and he prepares for conflict, it will be with righteousness and faithfulness. He will do it right, and he will do it consistently. And then we're about to read an incredibly bizarre passage. And it's going to enter into the prophetic, where it starts saying phrases that you have to ask a bunch of questions. Is that like going to happen now? Did we miss it? Is it going to happen in the future? Is it literal, or is it like figurative? What What do you mean? Well, let's read it. Very unusual. It says this. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb... The leopard shall lie down with a young goat, the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra because his parents aren't paying attention. (laughs) It's not in the Bible. Is anybody tracking with me on this one? All right. 
The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What's happening? What? When's that going to happen? Obviously, it had. I love the descriptions of it. It says, and the predator will lie down not just with a calf, but also the fat one. You know where he's the whole time he's looking at him and he's like, dude, you are delicious. <laughs> I'm just saying, self-control. <laughs> you know, we can hang, we can hang. No, 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 I'm not going to eat you. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm totally into wheatgrass now. I just, big change in my diet. I get it. It says that they will be led by a little child. I mean, the animals, the animals are like, oh, great, here comes Bobby, right? And he's just like, oh, Mama Snake, you know, and he's slinging it around. When is this going to happen? Is this literal? I mean, uh, you kind of got to ask the question, right? I mean, is this how it's going to be? Do we have an Eden-like state? Because that's how it was in Eden. It even talks about initially all the animals were herbivores, not carnivores. Is it going to be a reverse back to Eden? There's a reason why Eve was pretty cool talking to snakes. Because snakes weren't bad guys at that time. And is that what we're talking about? Is it literally that when the Messiah reigns here on earth, will he renew creation, remove the curse, allow all this to come into peace, because even the animal kingdom knows you do not defy God, and they have been renewed. Can it be literal? Absolutely it can be. Will it be? I don't know. Because here's what it means figuratively. All that used to be predatory in humans is now kind and gentle. All that was oppressed and scared and frightful now has nothing to fear because under God's leadership, all the systems of the world are made right. There are no longer bad guys allowed to do what bad guys do. Jesus is going to make it right. Do you understand? Both is awesome. Do we know which one it is? No, we really don't. But when is this going to happen? Because I'm not seeing it here. And when Jesus came the first time, he came and did something significant on the cross. But I did not see the Jews be gathered together. I did not see Jerusalem rise up. I did not see all the nations on earth gather to them. I didn't see a bunch of bears take naps with cows. I didn't see all that. So when is it going to happen? It's called the Millennial Kingdom. And there are three views on what the Millennial Kingdom is. You can take my notes offline so you don't have to try to write these because you're going to have a hard time spelling them anyway. Uh, the first one's called amillennialism, right? A-M-L-M-L, you don't know. Amillennialism says when Jesus came the first time, he defeated the enemy. He defeated Satan on the cross bound the strong man and the church has been increasing ever since And therefore ultimately what's going to happen is that the church age is the millennial kingdom These things are figurative Jesus Christ is moving and advancing his kingdom and ultimately Jesus will clean up at the end. There is no literal kingdom that's going to be set up. It's all figurative post-millennialism says that slowly Jesus will redeem the earth through his church. Everything's going to get better. 
The gospel is going to be presented. The larger world will be converted. And as Christ presses in his kingdom, the wickedness will be weeded out. And ultimately, it will all culminate into a beautiful Eden-like state. How many people are buying that one? Everybody see things getting better? No, not really. That kind of went out of vogue (laughs) when everything started to go to hell in a handbasket, right? And then everyone's like, "Ah, I don't think that's going to happen. That was super popular during Constantine when the world started changing. Uh, the last one is premillennialism. Premillennialism says everything's going to get worse, and then Jesus is going to return, do a massive schism to make all things new. He is going to come to earth, reign, have a literal thousand year reign on earth, and then he will wrap up the show. Okay, now, which one are you most familiar with? Well, here at Bridgeway, we teach pre-millennialism, right? We tend to go that way. Now, here's the truth. The truth is, Jesus Christ is going to come back and take us home. Everything else is details. I don't know how it's all going to work out. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to split with you over this. I'm merely going to tell you the most biblical reading, in my opinion, from Revelation 19 and 20, is pre-millennialism. All right, if it doesn't exactly work out that way, oh well. I believe there's a thousand year reign of Christ. He will come down, set up his throne in Jerusalem, renew the world through his leadership. The Jews will be gathered together and that the millennium is primarily about the Jewish people. It is a fulfillment of prophecy that he promised them a long time ago. He will make it right Revelation 19 and 20 says that the rider on the white horse will come in. He will set up his kingdom. He will bind Satan for a thousand years. Is it a literal thousand years or is it a figurative thousand? I don't know. He's going to bind him for a time. He's going to rule down here to fulfill his promises. Then he'll release Satan for a short amount of time to sift and purify and filter those that have grown up during that time. And then he's going to close it out and throw Satan into the lake of fire. That's what Revelation says. So it seems pretty clear to me. During that time, is that when the wolf is going to lie with the lamb? Is that all? I don't know. Clearly it is, but in what way? I do not know. Verse 10. In that day... The root of Jesse, the Davidic Messiah, will stand as a signal for the peoples that a new kingdom has arrived. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious, meaning where he sets up home. Here's what it means. One of Jesus' favorite things to talk about was the kingdom of God. Do you remember that? He'd always go, the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like that. He came in, and as the Messiah announced to the world, we're shifting leadership. You guys have had bad leaders for thousands of years. We're going to change all that. I came to town. The Messiah is a different kind of king, and he will rule rightly. Verse 11. In that day, and if we could just throw up that map uh, real quick. We only got one, one map. It's the one with a little bit more detail to it. Next one, please. Right there. We're going to leave that up. As I read this, you can see the locations. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time. Meaning he took him out of Egypt in the Exodus 700 years prior to this story. And he's going to do it again in the millennial kingdom. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant of the remains of his people. From Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. 
He will raise a signal to the nations like a beacon calling them home. He will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim will be will depart and those who harass Judah will be cut off. You know what that means? It means the world won't hate Israel anymore. Boy, that would be different, wouldn't it? Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah. Judah will not harass Ephraim. The north-south battle in, in Israel that existed will be healed. They didn't know that. Then, united, they will take out their enemies. Verse 14, but they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west. Together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt. What is the one body of water you most associate with Egypt? The Nile. He will strike the Nile. And he will wave his hand over the river. The river is the Euphrates. These are two major rivers in that area. With his scorching breath, he will break it up into seven channels so they can be crossed. And he will lead people across in sandals on dry land, meaning he will bring all his people from the lands and they will not be hindered coming home. And there will be a highway from Assyria, a well-worn, easy path home for the remnant that remains of his people as there was for Israel when they came up out of the land of Egypt. And you will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you are angry with me and rightfully so because of their sin. Your anger turned away. I repented. I changed. You led me in kindness. That you might comfort me. God has a desire to comfort. Behold, listen up. God is my salvation. He is my deliverer. I will trust despite circumstances. And I will not be afraid. I will not let fear dominate my life. For the Lord God is my strength, the one who sustains me, the one who empowers me. And he is my song, my joy, and my hope. And he has become my salvation, the one who rescues me. With joy, you, plural, meaning the people of God, will draw water from the wells of salvation, scooping up a bunch of rescuing. And you will say in that day of renewal, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. He deserves it. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Jerusalem, also known as Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. When God rescues you, shout it from the rooftops. Here's a big problem we have in our world today. We, when we get rescued by God, he does so in such a sly fashion, you think that was just a fortunate event. Oh, well, that worked out for me. No, it didn't. God rescued you. Well, it's so neat. I no longer struggle with that. God rescued you. Well, that's so weird. I thought I had a really bad sickness, but the doctor said they misdiagnosed me. God rescued you. Stop saying otherwise. And when he rescues you, tell me. Why? Because my faith needs it. I need a boost to my faith, meaning get out loud about the praises of God. Stop playing the, I just keep that to myself, and my personal relationship with God is very private. No, it's not. Stop it. 
tell us what's going on with you because your glorious miracles combined with my glorious miracles make all the rest of us know that God is in our midst. When we all remain quiet, God doesn't get the glory. Why would he continue to move in our midst, give us miracles if we will not glorify him? We have to be out loud about the goodness of God because it's the little victories we need to hang on to. Remember, this is not heaven. God is not interested in making you cozy and comfortable and everything's cool. That's not here yet. So while we're here, we need to celebrate the little things. I was hurting and now I'm not. I was comforted by God in my sorrow. I had lost, but now I have hope again. I was lost, but now I am found. These things we must talk about out loud. Hey, tell all your buddies, you know what? God totally took care of me. I was really having a hard day. I was praying about it. My prayer time was awesome, and it transformed my whole day. Isn't God good? These are things we must say out loud continually. Our job is to make God famous among the whole world. How can we do that if we remain quiet? It doesn't make sense. And why should he rescue people that will not see him, will not regard him, and will not sing his praise? I don't know about you, but we need a lot more deliverance. We need a lot more freedom. We need a lot more hope. We need a lot more strength. We need a lot more encouragement. And I'm just telling you, God gets very little credit around here. We've got to give him more. So here's what we're going to do. Some of you, today's message is like a breath of fresh air. It's that you have not been forgotten. So here's what we should do together. I'm going to pray for you if you say, Lord, please allow that deliverance. Is today the day, God? If it's not, I still worship you. I still praise you. I still love you. But is today the day that I am free if you need to be freed from whatever difficulty or oppression or challenge, I want you to stand up. We're going to pray for you. Stand up real quick. Because you know this stuff is heavy on you, yeah? That's why you're standing up. Stand up because I'm going to intercede for you. All right. We're about locked down. Everyone else? Lay your hands on them. We're going to do this as a body. Make sure that everybody is covered. And if you feel like, man, I got left out, nobody laid their hands on me, I'm right here with you. I'm with you. Don't worry about that. People just have a hard time. They only have two hands. Okay? We're all just limited here. I would imagine in a world of octopuses, this would be awesome. <laughs> Technically, that's octopi. Let's move on. Praise the Lord. All right. I'm going to pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, all those that have stood up have said, deliver or come. Rescue me. Save me. We cry out to you, Lord. If there is sin in our lives that is blocking your ability to break down the door and to storm in and rescue us, God, take it from our lives. We admit to you. We repent to you. We open up our hearts to you. God, if we're just getting beat up by the enemy, I pray that you would thwart his plans, that you would turn it back on his head, that you would shut him down and storm the gates of hell. That, God, I pray that if we are being held down by unnecessary torment of mental illness or anxiety or depression or challenges of fear and doubt, and there's no need for it in our lives, eradicate it in the name of Jesus. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would sweep through like a wind in this place. That, Lord, you would bring renewal and power and strength and, and like a sheet 
of covering of protection, you would wrap us up in your arms. Lord, there are many here that are hurting, that feel weak, that feel like they're on the edge of breaking. There are those that already feel smashed like they've been run over by a Mack truck. I pray, Lord, you pick us up off the street, dust us off, make us new, heal our bones. And make our minds and our hearts right in you. God, align us again. Heal us right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.